Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast, the review series. My name is Michael and I'm here tonight with Tom and Ryan and we are going to be doing a review of the newest Wizards of the Coast hardback campaign setting, Mythic Odysseys of Theros. It's Odysseys? Yes, well, there's there's an S oh, on it. Oh, I didn't realize there was it's an plural. S. I, Mythic Odyssey. Yeah. Okay, that's... It's not just one. Okay, this there is are true. multiple There's lots Odyssey. of Odysseys in this book. Absolutely. So, uh, you've already heard everyone's voice, but let's make it official. Tom, say hello to everyone. Let them know who you are. Yeah, yeah. How's it going, folks? Um, a lot of you already know me. Uh, this is Tom. You know, I'm just here to... I want to talk about RPGs, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Excellent. And then for returning to the show, obviously, but the first time on a review is Ryan. Ryan, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. Uh, good to be here, and hopefully, uh, yeah, you are familiar with my voice. Uh, and then I'll do it at the top of the show this time, because I'm trying to get professional at this. Just want to let everyone know that I was sent a free review copy of the book for Wizards of the Coast. Tom and Ryan purchased their own. And I also purchased my own because I wanted the alt cover, but I was sent a free copy, a, a press copy for this review. All right. So with all of that out of the way, Tom, kick things off, sir. Okay. Well, yes, Michael, like you said, this is the latest campaign setting from Wizards of the Coast. And this is Theros. So we are, we. this book is... Um, we're introduced to this book in the very first chapter, Welcome to Theros. So what is Theros, though? They, they don't explicitly say this, but for those who don't know, Theros is a Magic the Gathering setting. It's basically a reskin of ancient Greece, which is cool. And it was released back in 2013. This is a, this was an ex talking to my Magic the Gathering friends. This was a crazy popular setting i guess for the card game so it's a no-brainer that wizards is going to pump this out so but we get this welcome to theros section this is the section we're all familiar with that introduces the world and the very high concepts of the world so we get some we get some history we get how the gods factor into this and we get this whole idea of heroes and gods and then this Fate and Destiny. So right at the bat, we get some history. So history of Theros, a long time ago, these creatures called the Archons, these ancient primordial beings, ruled the land. And then the people created gods through their collective consciousness and had heroes overthrow the Archons. And now here we are in the modern day Theros. So one of the key things here that this section is trying to really get you to realize is that the gods are core to this setting and that you have if you really want to play theros you have got to be willing to buy into the idea that the gods are in control of what is happening uh so did you all have any thoughts about the opening or what were your all's original like uh just real quick we need to get this out of the way what were your all's original like how excited were you for this book I mentioned to, to Tom and Michael this already, but I was a student of Greek and Roman history for seven years in high school and college, and I was super thrilled for this. I don't know Theros by way of Magic the Gathering, um, so I was taking this uh, with a very open mind, and um, mm -hmm. it's very clear to see how they translated some of those things and took them uh, and put them in this book and how they directly relate and those kind of things. I, overall, I was pretty happy with them, pretty impressed. They got a lot of things right. I mean, there was a lot of uh, copying, which is great um, from those uh, from those old stories, um, because for me, that hits home and uh, kind of warmth in my heart. I had um, 
And, and that's probably because actually the teacher that I had for, for four of those seven years just recently passed away this, uh, earlier this year. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, I, this is why I was super excited for this book. And, okay. uh, I think it really is, um, I think I'm impressed with it as far as the translation and direct correlations to those things. And I will say that I think it's, um, almost funny how, um, this book, like you said, Tom pulls all the gods and, um, almost alignment with those gods into a major core aspect of a potential campaign, because what we know of fifth edition, um, I know plenty of people who throw alignment out the window and don't play it. They don't worry so much about the gods or what they do. And yeah. here is um, a whole setting now that is completely dependent on what happens and how they feel and what they're doing and how they can affect you, the player. Uh, so I'm kind of actually intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. I kind of actually want to see a, a, hear a lot of other people's thoughts on um, after they've had a chance to play it. If that's something that, um, like myself, they were they were interested to see how it, ter- it turns about. Yeah, yeah. So you have a long history then with that Greek and that Greek history. So that'll be cool to get your perspective, Michael, coming into this. I, I was not a true student of uh, Greek mythology but i was that dorky kid that on my own would go to the library and get books on greek mythology and read it myself so i had a probably a more familiarity than most of the kids my age back when i was like eight nine ten years old but i remember very very little of it but clash of the titans the original clash of the titans harry hamlin's epic role is near and dear to my heart i love that movie and you know, I saw that. I don't even know when that movie came out, but it, it had to be right around the same time that I was reading Greek mythology, probably because of, and probably when I started my D and D career, running, playing games. So the idea of having that overlap was was huge in my mind. Like that's what I was wanting. It's like this book's going to let me run a Clash of the Titans campaign, and I think the book does that. But there are still some huge problems I have with this well, book and how it's done. Okay, hey, let's not jump to it just yet. Let's slowly I'm teasing, teasing. tease. Yeah, like you said. Okay, so that covers, you know, introduction. There's Theros. We hop right then into what people, not everyone's here for, but a lot of people are, which is the character creation and the new mechanics. So, Ryan, what do we get here? Um, You know, honestly, um you don't get as much as you would have hoped for. Um, there are only um, humans, centaurs, Leonin, which are your cat people. But not tabaxi like we're used to. This is a different... No, these are like l- cool. lion and tiger-based, uh, your large, powerful cat people. Um, not tabaxi, nothing that's dexter- uh, dexterous or uh, thin and, and shifty. Um, these are big, strong, powerful creatures. Uh, you've got Minotaurs, Satyrs, and, and Triton. That's it. Six races for the for the whole setting, which six um, is which is not a lot. I mean, uh, humans most common, and everybody else kind of you know dwindles. But each player role. Um, I mean, I don't know. Overall, I was happy. The the supporting um, character races come over place of the centaurs are more or less your travelers and your your natural um, race of the world common to like elves you've got your uh, minotaurs which are your very passionate 
kind of barbarian, but they're also thought of evil in, um, in most cases or a lot in this setting. Um, you've got your crazy comedy race, which is your, like your satyr. Um, so if you're going to be a bard or a goofball, you've got, it's easy to play that role. Tritons, you know, are a port over from uh, an earlier book that uh, wizards already did and makes sense to put them in here because this setting and uh, traditional Greek and Latin mythology is, is based around so much water. So it's a complete and easy port to put in here. Makes complete sense to have that uh, that aspect, and then well, minotaur. Don't forget, minotaurs and centaurs are also just complete whole cloth copy and paste from Ravnica. So you're not getting much here, folks. No, no nothing new um, in the far as those races. Um, but I I feel like each race kind of has its own feeling. Um, it has its own place in the world. And it's easy to keep things separate if you need to in a campaign. Yes. Um, one thing that you didn't talk about was the super important is the supernatural gifts, yeah, which there, are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What are what are the supernatural gifts? So supernatural gifts are uh, something that your character is either given or born with. Um, it, it usually comes from a god or um, maybe a it skips a generation and got some, you know, got you somehow, but it's, it's a power that is either within you or bestowed upon you. It gives you an additional class feature or character feature to, uh, to play with and to benefit from early. Um, but it actually can help generate a backstory for your character. If you need to, when you pick it, uh, it can also help the, the DM, uh, with a campaign to give you something to tie into or to give you uh, another hook. Um, these supernatural gifts can anything from being built by the God of the forge or uh, being, uh, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of the word when a God hates you, um, cursed by uh, the God of nature. Maybe, you know, you had a grandparent or something like that, that, uh, destroyed a forest or something like that, and uh, you are cursed. So it can be uh, it can be um, all kinds of things. Most of these are boons, but it gives you plenty of things to play with, and it's another uh, feature for your character to have uh, a helpful gift along the way early on. And it's it's also a man mechanical manifestation of the power of the gods, which is just you know preeminent in this campaign. The gods are everywhere, and they are meddling with your lives, good and bad. All the and, time. It, and it makes you supernatural to begin with. It makes you heroic to begin with. You have a power stronger than the regular mortal. So uh, ideally, I feel like this book is directing the campaign in a heroic uh, way. You don't have a lot of option, I feel like, for to play like a dark campaign or to bring out an evil character. Um, there are kind of negative, lawful, evil uh, gods. Um, but in most cases, a lot of these supernatural gifts, a lot of the way the direction the book's written is to be heroic and to do great, powerful deeds uh, to bring some kind of um, purpose, fulfillment, or um, admiration to your God. Yeah, these are – we cannot be – these right here we have to say also is supernatural gifts are extremely powerful we're talking these are game changers for fifth edition they're not like i wouldn't say they're um i wouldn't say they're like 
cleverly designed. They feel tacked on, and they would be great in Theros, but my advice as a if you're not playing a Theros campaign, do not let your players take this because Anvil Right, just like you're just like, yeah, now you're immune to everything. Now you don't have to sleep. There's stuff that it's like you when you go down to zero, you're actually don't you have one hp so it's like a barbarian class and these things all kind of stack as well so these are super powerful yeah you get a couple different things as you level up and i will say the one thing that was not clear is when you're reading this it doesn't say it's not like um this doesn't replace something it's completely brand new it's a freebie um yeah which you know i had to read that a couple times ago holy cow that's you know most of these things occur um at at fifth level I mean, that's super strong at fifth level to begin something um, that lets you cast a magic, uh, regular magic spell for free or to not die <laughs> yes. when you reach zero hit points. Yeah, I, I think more than any of the campaigns I've looked at so far, this is a this is a book that is a complete thing that you want to run a Theros campaign. You're not going to steal things from this yes. book and put it in your home. Or you, I mean, you may. It's your free whatever you want to do. But it is not designed well for you to do that with not – powerfully overbalancing your characters or just making them superheroes which is what if you want to do that's cool but this book is for you to run a game in this world yeah otherwise it can be very unbalancing for dropping some of this and talk eberron or forgotten realms it's going to be very powerful yeah guarantee this book gets at al band so fast <laughs> like i i do i see it happening the one thing before michael before you jump into the subclass stuff i do want to also mention the satyrs they are the first class that they are just straight up have magical resistance. So you're getting advantage on saving throws against everything that's magic. That is, we're talking um, dragon breaths, fireballs, everything. You have advantage on all of them. And it's a dex base, or it's a charisma based class too. So for any of you charisma dex people, which there are a ton of them in fifth edition, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you're, everybody's playing satyrs now, so. Well, but they're all party animals. Like, you gotta go this into role play. They're the ones that are not going to be interested in doing anything other than just carousing and, uh, you know, having a good time. I love the satyrs, though. Okay, so what's, what, what subclass options do we get? All right, so we get two new subclass options in this book, as well as one additional new background. For the bard, we have the, the College of Eloquence. And this is very much themed in the tradition of Greek orators uh, standing in front of like a Senate and just, you know, trying to sway people's mind with your eloquent words and passioned speech. So you get some uh, like the silver tongue as a feature, unsettling words, unfailing inspiration, which I think that's the one where you actually can like um, if they use inspiration and it fails, they get to keep it. Yeah. Uh, There's one that lets you uh, infectious inspiration. You can basically... It's like chain lightning for inspiration. You can give it to someone. If someone's nearby, they can also get it. So it sort of like hits multiple people and can chain out, which I think is really cool. Uh, We also have a paladin subclass called the Oath of Glory. And it has some tenets. I think that'll help explain what this is. So these are the four tenets of the Oath of Glory. Actions over words. Challenges are but tests. Hone the body. Discipline the soul. Uh... The channel divinity features, you have peerless athlete, which gives you an augmentation to your athleticism for 10 minutes. So you have advantage on strength checks and dexterity checks and inspiring smite immediately after you deal damage to a creature with your divine smite. You can use your channel divinity as a bonus action and distribute temporary hit points to creatures of your choice 
within 30 feet of you, which includes you. So at the same time that you're dealing out that awesome, sweet palate and smite damage, you're also healing yourself and those around you as you wish. Um, the number of temporary hit points is equal to 2d8 plus your level in this class, divided however you would like amongst anybody in the group. Uh, and then the background they added is athlete. Again, this goes back to like Greco-Roman wrestling mm-hmm. and other um, you know acts of physical prowess. And there's a there's basically a, the Ironian Games, which are sort of like uh, the precursor, like Olympics. You know, basically people come from all over to compete in archery and wrestling and uh, racing and all that kind of good stuff. So you have the athlete background, which is where you came from. This you know maybe you're like a you were trained to do this from birth. You have a lineage. Your dad, your mom was this great athlete. Uh, it can it sort of it. Um, overlaps a little bit in my mind with like the village hero. Can't remember what, the, what that one's called right now. Folk hero. Folk, Folk hero. Yeah. Where if you're like a famous athlete, and so if you go into a town where people know you, they're gonna you know give you a free night at the house and cook you dinner, all oh, that kind of good stuff. That's like that. funny you bring that one up because all right, Theros is only 200 miles um, across. It's tiny. It's tiny, which is cool. I'm like y'all know I'm a huge fan of Curse of Strahd because it's really small, and so this is really small, so I like that. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, this, um, known hero, if you're within a hundred miles of where you grew up, um, so that's like everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, So, (laughs) which is okay. I, I like this. I like this background a lot. Nice. Um, I will say this. I also really like the, I really like the college of eloquence. I'm a huge fan of having that one character in my group. Who's like the negotiator. And this is perfect. I love the infectious inspiration. Like, the, the whole idea of, like, you use your bardic inspiration and then it bounces back and forth. Uh, that's super cool. Um, I'm not a big paladin person, so Oath of Glory was, like, yeah. yeah I'm, See, that's the thing. I, I am. I am. I, I play strength martial characters. That's That's what I like to do. And I like this. I think if you're going to play a, a champion of a... Of, a god and you know that's what you're going to do um this i mean it's almost like a no-brainer um that this is this is what you do you want to be that champion you want to be that superhero that everybody talks about um you know this lets you do that and uh succeed and it likewise i mean any dm that reads this that runs a theros campaign you're going to have plenty of stuff thrown at you to to be that to prove that you're that champion um because you're gonna have plenty of gods out there uh going after you basically just for the fun of it yeah so what are your alls um we i know we've been talking back and forth but does anyone have any other overall what are your overall thoughts on the um the new character options i, I don't have a strong opinion but that also means I don't have a strong positive opinion. They're okay. Yeah. Um, again, if you're going to play in Theros, you're going to play a Greek-inspired game, then having Minotaurs and Tritons and Satyrs and Centaurs, all that stuff perfectly makes sense. It's really cool. But if you're not looking to play in Theros, I don't know that they are something I would want to port into a different campaign. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't anything that was just like, man, this is so cool. I want to build a character right now based around this, at least for the races. Yeah. Um, I do like the divine, it's like the supernatural gifts. I think those are cool. I like uh, the, all the different roll of D6, and it gives you, you know, you can choose, but you get to pick. And reading through those, I was kind of inspired for, like I could see myself creating a personality 
from those. So that was kind of cool. But all in all, it's okay. Yeah, it's um, it's very swingy for me. I like, like you said, I'm, I hate when they reprint stuff. Uh, like they just put three of the same races that already existed. But if you're just gonna run Theros, it makes sense to have him in this book. Uh, I think that the um. I love the Seder, though, um, and I will definitely, any sort of game with any sort of phase stuff, I'm pulling the Seder in. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something. It's not also the Leon, the the Lion thing, I think we need to say, this is another, this is a, con, a constitution-based race, um, which makes them kind of useless with how 5th edition works. It's like, yay, you get more hit points, so... It's, it's, I was, I was really hoping for a cool lion. I don't think I really got that. No, I don't understand the whole concept, the main constitution being the, the main stat in this one. I like it. I like the other kind of flavor of a tabaxi. This is probably the one race that you could pull out of, um, out of here and add to most other campaigns without too much of a issue. Um, Mm -hmm. I do like that. And, and the Seder is, is cool. Um, but I don't think it fits in a whole lot of other campaigns. If you're going to run something uh, pre-written like this, I think this is uh, the Leonin is a, a kind of a flavoring of a tabaxi that you could get by with. But yeah, the constitution base, I don't see the value in it based on what fifth, how fifth edition is, is written in other books. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird, but that's all right. Next we get into the, second chapter which is the gods of theros and this is the player facing chapter on the gods there's another section later on that is specifically for the dungeon masters but this are here's every player for the most part unless you're playing some sort of iconoclast who doesn't serve any god because you hate them uh everybody's going to be picking a god and this is where you're going to be picking one there's 15 that exist in Theros. So like I said, this is the section for players, 15 deities, um, lots of options here. Each section contains information for how your chosen God is going to affect the world. Um, what the goals are for their champions. So what the God's goals are for the players, uh, as well as information for the worship who runs, um, who ever, and also like, who runs the um who runs everything with this god um the god's role and, essentially yeah and then each god includes like i said alignment like what sort of classes typically serve this god some which cleric domains or paladin oaths you may see uh you'll get some background information it's like if you want your background to include this god um how to earn favor with this god and then ideals that can be swapped with your standard ideals that everybody has when they're creating a character. And then finally, we get to the piety track, which some stuff was mentioned earlier with the character creation stuff, which was weird because they talk about piety in that section, but they haven't mentioned what it is yet. And we finally get to that. So, Michael, what's piety? So piety is basically a mechanic where your favor with your chosen god is tracked. The more things you do that align with the goals of your chosen god, your piety score goes up. If you do things that are against the favor of your god, your score can go down. 
And at certain scores, you are granted additional abilities and boons because of your connection and closeness with your god. It starts at one. The advice in here is that more or less, it should go up by one after every session. And um, it can, you know, go up more if you do something, you know, powerfully connected to your god. But for the most part, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's going to go up about one per every session. And the um, sort of the, the tiers where things change the way that your character works minorly is at three points, 10 points, 25 points, and 50 points. More on that later. So yeah, for all those who play 50 session campaigns, here you go. So all my players are getting two piety points every session. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is also, we have to say that the piety system is pretty much a reskinned renown system from Ravnica, which at first I was like, well, that's kind of lame. But I think it works, especially because they haven't used this. These the only the, the Magic the Gathering books have these, so it's kind of all, all aligned. Like Ravnica has the renowned and has this sort of system, and then Theros has their piety and uses the system. So it kind of it brings some some synchronicity between the Magic the Gathering books that have been released for Dungeons and Dragons. So I did, I, I did, I did see where how this kind of makes sense here. And I'll say, I actually really like this concept, Yeah. Uh, whether it's stolen from the other book or not. Uh, in a game where the gods feature so heavily, I really like the idea that you can track that and you can see that. And it means things. I just don't know they implemented it as well as the idea of it. Yeah, it's, um, we'll talk about, we'll, each of us, are, let's talk about our who our favorite deity is. But also I think um, it's important these the piety tracks for each deity kind of follows the same formula so um usually at the first one you're getting some sort of spell that you can use um then the 10th you're getting looks like another spell and then 25 is a really weird ribbon ability for everybody and then finally 50 is everybody is you're gonna just get to plus two and one of your stats and you get to raise your maximum in that stat, so you can actually go above what would normally okay. be your maximum, which I think is is bad. I really oh do. really like I, it's I, banana I, strong. Oh, yeah. I mean it, it's yeah, well, but not if you if you played fifty sessions. By the time you get to there, who cares about another plus two in your okay. prime stat? I get it. That makes sense. I mean, it's equivalent of a plus one. Like, if you have a 20 strength, you get a plus six. A 22 is a plus seven. That's true. It's not that strong. And you go from 25 to 50 before you get there. I was like, seriously? <laughs> that's what you get at 50? That, to me, is weak sauce. Okay. No, no. That's that's fair. I, I think that, and we might come to this later, but I think that by the time you get to 50, you've got some pretty crazy things happening. And perhaps you, if you're getting to 50 and you're, and you're a champion of your God at this point, you did your God probably already gave you some crazy weapon to, yeah, to, but to, for me though, I think at 25, this would be a great and powerful, like, wow, after 25 that, sessions, I get true. this 50 should be like, 
like a like a some sort of ability, not just a bonus to your stats. It's there's no flavor there. There's there's no there's nothing I can sink my teeth into from a role playing standpoint. And I also think there should be more. I, I hate the fact that it goes from twenty five to like give me one every five and then make them a little bit. I mean, you've you got a good point there. Twenty five probably would have been a good place to say, hey, I'm a proven champion of you. I I've been around a while. You know, give me your strength type of thing. And here it is. I that probably would have been a better place for that to exist because um, you've played this a while, but you've still got probably a little bit while to go. 50 or right could have been done much, much stronger, much more uh, heavy impact. I think so. You could have taken your supernatural gift and and doubled it or something crazy like that. Right. Professor Fluff over here. Like as it's so funny as fifth edition has continued to progress in age, like, and I, maybe it's just me being more cynical dungeon master now. Like I've started to care way too much about the numbers as things have oh. years have gone on. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so let's now talk. Who's our favorite? All right. Yeah. So each of us, because again, there's there's what 15 of these gods. We're not going to go over all of them. Uh, well, actually, I am going to quickly go over all of them uh, just by name, and then we're each going to pick one that we particularly connected with and go into that one a little bit more. Okay, detail. well, if you say them, then I may be know how to pronounce them. So go, Michael. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a pronunciation guide? Yes. Are you serious? Just do it, okay? Since so we have... Um, well, let me, do you, let me, do you want me to do the pronunciation guide? No, I want I want Michael to. <laughs> I would love for you to. You can just correct me. Let me get my reading glasses on. Okay, so we have Athros, the god of passage. Afara, the god of the polis, which is basically like cities. Uh, Erebos, the god of the dead. Heliod, the god of the sun. Iris, the god of victory. Not Iris, I-R-I-S, but Iroas, I guess. Karametra, the god of harvest. Keranos, the god of storms. Clothis, the god of destiny. Krufix, the god of horizons. Mogus, god of slaughter. Nylia, god of the hunt. Faraka, god of affliction. Phoenix, god of deception. Perforos, god of the forge, and Thassa, god of the sea. That wasn't bad. That was pretty good. That was good. No, no glaring errors. Each of us picked one of these that we're going to cover, and still not in super detail, yeah. but more. I went with Athros. Athros is the god of passage. He is the equivalent of Sharon from Greek mythology. It's the ferryman from the river Styx, which ferries souls from the, where they come into the underworld after they die to their final resting place further in. Uh, much like uh, Sharon, they take uh, payment in a gold coin or some other coin of some type. And it's a big part of the mythology here that if you if you don't have a coin to pay the ferryman, then your soul... Oh, you're so screwed. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll just basically languid on this side of the river Styx forever until you lose your mind, lose your presence. And then those those are the people that become ghosts and other spirits because they can't fully Or you pass get eaten on. by a couple of the underworld monsters, which are which is another crazy thing. Yes. So uh, Athros's influence has to do with those on travel. So it's um well also like per, like preparedness. If you die unprepared, that's kind of your fault. Yeah. Like you you should have prepared for this ahead of time. He's also invoked as the goddess pa- of passage. So if you're going on a voyage, you may invoke them as well. Uh, if those who undertake a journey, particularly a dangerous one, may drop a coin into a fountain or body of water um, to get their favor. Uh, their goals. Uh, Athros endlessly works to maintain the balance between Nyx, which is the sky, and also the realm of the gods, the underworld, and then the mortal lands of the living. 
Uh, the river god sees himself as a servant of the mortal world and knows nothing of the glamour, honor, or mystery mortals often ascribe to him. Uh, there's a section on relationships on how Atheros interacts with the other gods. Basically, they're all bickering children who in various times get along and work with and against each other. Uh, there's a section on worshiping Atheros and what, what you would do. But the mechanical section, they're champions. So alignment is usually lawful, often evil. Cleric, monk, rogue, and wizard. Uh, the suggested domains are death and grave, which is covered in the Xanthar's Guide to Everything. And suggested backgrounds are hermit, sage, sailor, and urchin. There's a chart here for Athros's favor and sort of like how you were chosen to be a champion or why maybe you became the champion. So you roll a d6. Uh, so the, one of the examples is a family member died bringing you into the world. Uh, another is you don't think or feel as others do, finding emotions messy and confusing. Uh, there's a section on devotion to Atheros. So some of the things that, uh, like, it's sort of like it's the ideal that you might replace from your initial background in favor of the god. Uh, so, like, one of the examples is mortals fear their, mortals put their fear out of mind, but though but through me they will remember the inevitable. Uh, judgment, violations against the order of life and death must be set right. Uh, there's a list on what you can do that will gain you piety, uh, providing coins and overseeing burial rites for those slain in a tragedy, things you can do to lose piety, die in a dying, denying a dying person their final rights, and then it lists what the abilities are. So at three points of piety, you get Athros Devotee. Uh, you can cast General Repose for free. At 10 points, you get Atheros's Votary. You can cast Speak with the Dead for free. At 25, Atheros's Disciple. You can cast False Life. And then again, at, uh, at 50, you get Intelligence or Wisdom increased by two, as well as increasing your maximum in that score by two. Uh, then my favorite part is there are myths of Atheros. And these are stories that are commonly held to be true that may or may not be true. And it's accompanied with this amazing artwork. And that's the one thing I, I will be very boastful about. The artwork in this book is, I mean, chef's kiss, amazing, perfect. Because it's all magic cards. <laughs> Probably, exactly, because it's all based on magic cards. So we've got, you know, history and just this, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's just great freaking art. It is. I love it. So they talk about when Atheros was, the reason he collects coins is that he actually wanted to go into the underworld, but uh, his coin that he was trying to pay for his own passage was divided into five and sent back into the mortal realm. And if he could ever find these five coins, he will then be able to move on. So what, the reason he takes coins from everyone is he's actually looking for these five, which I think is really cool. Uh, there's a bunch of the mythology we'll probably get into about people can escape the underworld. So whether you're a soul that goes to the world that finds its way out, or maybe you're a mortal still alive that goes to the underworld as part of your adventure, uh, if you can get out of the underworld, that is part of that could be part of an adventure. And in the depiction of Athros, he has I think five or six gold masks, which we will learn later are part of people who've returned from the undead. And it is said that he's already allowed several people to escape and go back to the mortal realm, and they have basically tricked him and not fulfilled their end of the bargain. So now that's why he will no longer do it. So I really, really like the myth section. I will say I picked Athros as my chosen because it's the first one in the book and I loved it. And everyone after it was diminishing returns in my opinion. Please. Okay. <laughs> I, I was not surprised by your pick, Michael. 
I loved. I, I was again at this point in the book. I was all in. Loved it. Nice. Well, so mine was Phoenix, and I'm not going to go through all the details like you did because I think the structure is very much the same. Um, all it's pretty much all the same stuff except with Phoenix, everything is super edgelordy and so that's why i picked it uh Phoenix is the god of you know deception and Phoenix's favor all right listen to this though the table number one table why you're his favored you were born at midnight under a new moon like come on that is like a character who rolls up with that on their character sheet is to my table i both hate them so much and i they're like my favorite player <laughs> But I do like Fenix because uh, Fenix, you know, it's now going to give me that Dex Charisma boat boost at 50 piety, you know? Okay, my Warlocks are now even better. So, um, also, you know, you get to do free disguise self. Um, you can hide and attack and miss and still be hidden. So, you know, rogues sneak attack for days. Like, this is just... <laughs> It's very good stuff. If you want to play, if you want to play the Greek assassin, like if you want to do Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like in Theros, like you're picking Fenix. There's no, like, so cool. Plus, Fenix myths, he was a mortal, a mortal who escaped the underworld, escaped Erebos, and became a god. Like, that's cool. All right. Um, hands down, Fenix is better than the one that michael picked that was all lawful and everything <laughs> this is like the opposite of michael's <laughs> but anyway um yeah uh, that's i really like fenix um ryan what do you got for us um so uh i picked uh Perforos, which is uh surprisingly one of my favorites and is not really um i don't know for favorites for uh, um, unconventional reasons, something I'm not really uh, big on. Uh, but he is the god of forge, the god of fire, the uh, god of artisans, uh, obsession, and uh, kind of the cycle of creation and destruction. And that's to say that each god, actually, the, both the ones that Michael and, and Tom talked about and the other ones in the book, have multiple like portfolios that they're responsible for. It's uh, because there's only 15, they cover a a large range of things and uh his is actually pretty um it, it's uh, it, very far to one way and then very far to the other way there he's not really a middle ground god which is uh makes things super interesting uh obviously god of fire god of forge he he makes things uh the guy lives to make things he makes all of the gods and has made all of the gods uh favorite weapons uh, in the book some way or somehow but at the same time if he doesn't like what he's making he just flat out destroys it and then some mountains along with it or some stars rain out of the sky and cause destruction because he's strong enough to knock the stars out of the sky um that that cycle of creation to destruction um he's all for it if you've got a uh, a smith that's making something and will labor for days and days and days. He, um, you know, will appear to you and give you inspiration to finish it and make it uh, awesome. And in that, th there is a myth about him um, teaching the first smith 
how to craft with bronze and how to make that happen. Uh, he was the, the God that inspired uh, that. And now that they're getting into iron and those kind of things, it's even more so. Yeah, um, Perforos is going to get some cool magic items in the. In yeah, the you get some section. really cool stuff with him, um, and because of that, you know, God of Fire, God of Forge, you're going to get uh, barbarians, uh, clerics, fighters, sorcerers. You're really strong physical classes that can do stuff. Your domain is going to be the forge, obviously, or, or knowledge. Uh, makes sense with someone like this. He uh, he takes into account, um, like Tom, you said, uh, born at midnight in a uh, on a new moon. He's got his favor becomes things like uh, you were born during the eruption of a volcano. Um, and if he doesn't like you or he gets crazy, he might appear in the form of erupting volcano or a fiery lava bowl. Um, and chances are, you know, his swing of anger gets so bad that not a whole lot of things survive when he gets uh, when he gets upset. So, um, you know, he's great to focus and to make things on one end, but if you upset him, you know, burn it with fire, and that's uh, nothing's going to survive. So, some of his things, uh, his devotees get are at at plus three. You get uh, shield of faith and uh, mending, obviously, as a cantrip because you're creating things. Uh, you can do heat metal uh, to be more of a crafter. And um, at 25, you get the ability to be like stalwart, like a mountain, strong as a mountain, um, and not be pushed around. Literally, you, you can't be pushed if you don't want to be. Uh, and then finally, the champion of him, a champion of, of Perforos, you get uh, you know a plus two to permanent to your strength. So, or intelligence, um, being with knowledge and crafting and those type of things. Okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, I find him really interesting. Um, I mean, it, it does feel a lot like uh, Morden from the common, you know, fifth edition uh, gods and that kind of thing. But the, the swing and the um, happy one minute volatile the next minute, I think I, I find that really interesting. Nice. Uh, I'd also like to point out that every god has a half page art full color art that goes with them and these are just absolutely gorgeous uh in particular i'm a huge fan of erebos i think the image of erebos is amazing some of them are not as great as others like a couple of these are just like like i would i would want a print of these and hang in my house but but in the process of reading through this book my favorite god to start with was crufix I just, everything I read about Crufix is I go through the book, I'm like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. Until you get to Crufix's art, Crufix's art, it's on page 63. It looks like a bad DJ at a nightclub or at a rave. And I hate this picture <laughs> oh. so bad that it soured me on the god. Crufix is now my favorite. Oh my god, that's, it's so bad. It's so, compared to all the others, it's just like. It's. It's hey, got I, color. It's, it's lots of colors, uh, purpley. It's all cool. That is, okay, the art is so very bad. good. As somebody who doesn't play Magic the Gathering, I don't know. I've never seen this art before. None of this is recycled from other 5th edition products. So, hey, that's good. It is, but I'm, I'm with Michael on that one. That one's kind of the most disappointing um, as far as some of these other ones. I mean, if you look at Clothis, um the detail that went into this God and all her crazy amounts of hair and horns, or um, you've got uh, Karamatra 
who is surrounded by grapevines and flowing pots. Um, I mean, it, it, it just, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't fit. Put it that way. Okay. So guys, do we have, what are you, so overall thoughts on the gods here? So for me, this feels a lot like 13th age icon relationships. Like that's the the thing that kept sticking out to me is that this is like a D&D version of that, where rather than it being an icon, it's a god. You have a very close relationship. Their, their desires, their goals become yours, and you get sort of embroiled in their own politics. And that's not to say it's bad at all, because I actually really like 13th age a lot. But I kept thinking that I would maybe run this more like 13th age. Uh, in particular, if you had a group of, a, you know, you have a standard adventuring party and everybody has a different god, you know, how do you deal with that? And the, and the book gives you advice. We're going to get to that in just a second on how you can, but it's not clean. So I thought it would be, and it also fits very much with like the Clash of the Titans sort of movie feel for the original one, where for one session, maybe this god is the one who's more influencing things positively or negatively or I mean, you know, this God is next week will be the one that influences things. So I feel like I might run this more like a 13th age icons relationship as an addi- additional way that the game, the gods interact with the world rather than just the way they're presented. I just, I think I actually think the icons of 13th age are pretty sweet and I would liberally steal that to make this more palatable to me. Yeah. I'll have to take, I've never played 13th age, but I've heard a lot of people love it. So I get what you're saying there. I really like the the gods in here. I like that they have multiple things that you can focus on uh, as far as what they're responsible for. Um, and, and Michael, to kind of at your point, I view if you've got a party of, of uh, worshippers of each different god, at the end of the session, it's kind of like that scene in a movie where everybody's sitting around the campfire and everybody's like, hey, I'm better than you. My God's better than your God. Uh, somebody says something nasty, and then somebody says something, makes a joke, and everybody's okay, okay with it at the, the end. Uh, you know, and I figure at some point, you're going to do that multiple times throughout the campaign to kind of make things kosher for everybody um, so that no one gets really ticked off. Because like you said, at one, one session, uh, Joe's God is going to be calling the shots, and you're going to be traveling after Joe's God versus uh, Alex or, or Kim the next couple of sessions because it's very unlikely that every party member is going to follow the same God um, and be on the same mission because... I mean, you could require that, like as part of session zero, you could say, you know, pick a God or we'll do it randomly and everyone's going to follow it. But I, I don't think that's likely your standard. I think you're going to have more of a mixture. So I think the icon relationship method works well here. The other thing I'll say here, and then we can move on, is I actually, like, if I am if I was going to run this, I think what I would do is one of the players would be the divine champion, and the other players would be followers. And normally, like in a regular D&D game, I would never do that. I hate that, the one chosen one, and they're, they're like the most special. But I kind of think maybe just my experience level today, I think I could make that fun for everyone where one character is the divine chosen and gets the good and the bad that comes with that. And all the other people are followers of this champion and are dealing with, you know, the other things they are in battle. That's the person who's fighting the other archon of the God. These are fighting the other's foot soldiers, or they're the ones that are running interference. And I, I think that could be a fun way to, to run this game though. I would not, encourage people to do that other than maybe a theros top game or just with a lot of consideration because i've had it go poorly 
But this makes me think it could be done. Just do it, Michael. If you if you had buy in from the whole table, I think it could be done. Yeah, and and still everyone still have their own moments. Um, I, but I personally I like the the dichotomy of of people choosing different gods and going against each other. Like uh, for mine, Perforos, he um, he directly uh, doesn't like Heliod, who believes himself to be the the king of the gods or the leader of the gods. You know, and this guy rejects that. So I I find those kind of dichotomies more so but i i agree with you it very possibly be done and still plenty of moments in here to have each player feel like they're part of it feel like they're they're you know the the champion i guess of that session lack of a better word the way this is written all right so now we get to the world of theros it is um it's small it's cute i like it michael what is the world of theros so basically it's broken down into three big components. You got the mortal world, you got Nyx, which is the home of the gods and the nightborn, and then you have the underworld. This section is very much like an almanac. Uh, you know, you have each of the different main cities, Akros, Miletus, and Satessa, broken down by their population, if they have any differences in uh, calendars, any like their, their favorite events and landmarks within it. Then you have some outline arrow, uh, areas like Eriskos and Phobios and Skophos, Gotta love those oath words. Um, and these are things like where the satyrs are and where the um, the minotaurs live and that kind of stuff. Uh, then you have the Siren Sea, which is the aquatic part where the tritons are going to be. Uh, you have Nyx, which again is the realm of the gods. And then you have the underworld, which is its own section. None of this, if we don't need to go into any more detail, they're all there. They all have little pieces and parts about what's important there. If the, as the adventurers are traveling, because this is a game where you're going to travel, it's going to give you landmarks to make those, you know, traveling montages make sense and work for you. But I don't think there's anything we need to cover in depth here. If there is, please jump in. You know, the one thing that I'll say is that um, Akros is literally Sparta and Melitus is Greece. <laughs> like, yeah, whole yeah, clock. Ex- that's what it is, which is it cool. is it, it. I mean, you got to start somewhere, and uh, I completely agree with you. I think it's funny how Acros is uh, is you know completely martial uh, and is all Sparta, um, and then Melitus is is nothing but philosophers and magic, and it even says the ruling council of twelve. So yeah, you're you're you completely nailed it, Tom. Yeah. So after we have the world of Theros. It has now been explained to us. Now we get to talk about creating Theros adventures. So we get to the the game, the Dungeon Master's side. So uh, this is, they straight up say, if you want to play in Theros, which we've already said this, you need to play with gods. So I appreciate that they are just straight up saying it because I'm a huge fan of you have your setting, you play w- with the setting, how it's meant to be played with. So they go right into it. Each section includes a, basically a deity, a god, and then it talks about how to create adventures or campaigns surrounding those deities or gods. You get, uh, you get each section will be like how gods can be, um, how their quest examples for the gods, the villains. These are the followers of the gods, monsters that may be associated with a certain campaign of a god. You get divine schemes, which are really cool. And then a really cool adventure location uh, with a cool map. And I love this. I love taking adventure locations from books and using them. 
And so we get, um, and I'll kind of go through real quick. I'm going to go through my example. So, so it's, it's Karanos. Uh, so real quick, this is how he, um, this is an example, and this is my favorite one, because I'm thinking about taking this straight up for our Ghost of Saltmarsh game, since it's heavily storm-featured. So each one is going to include a little some quests. So, for example, Karanos is help a genius who had an inspiration had his had their inspiration physically stolen. That's cool. It also it says use a lot of lightning creatures. So you've got your storm giants, your blue dragons, air elementals, storm elementals, those sort of things. Uh, and then, but I kind of mentioned it. Each one of these sections has divine schemes. So I love this. This is how to set the god as the big bad. So Karanos has, it's, it's fantastic. One of his divine schemes is dared by Phoenix. So the other god that I really, really like. Um, Karanos inspires eight mortals with eight ingenious ways to destroy the world. As a result, a genius actor, an alchemist, an inventor, a diver, a miner, a sculptor, a thief, and a duplicitous goat are all set forth to enact their terrible brilliance. So that's that's just some cool story. I love it. Plus, it feels like a fetch quest, which makes for great campaigns. And also, you get a really cool weather station as this as the map, which with all sorts of weird inventions and stuff going. So that was really cool so uh did you all which which of these did you all uh so orion what was what did you have any of these adventure sections that really inspired you and you were like oh, i can make a campaign out of this so i mentioned it earlier and i i picked um Perfros as my god um and i picked heliod uh heliod as my uh god's campaign because they're in direct conflict with each other um and makes things super fun um heliod's uh things uh his, his quests his hooks examples they give you uh bring a shard of sunlight to a place of unending darkness heliod's the god of the sun and consistency uh rising and falling so um he naturally sees himself as uh kind of the the ruler of all things um in law and order establish law and order in a place of anarchy and, and lawlessness uh, keep people safe from a natural disaster or hunt down a lawbreaker. So you have, yeah, he feels like a champion, but like Tom said, divine schemes are not exactly what you would expect. Heliod decides to confront Erebos in the underworld. He gathers fallen heroes around him, fallen being dead souls. Um, so he, he would have to take them from him and turn them and use Erebos's souls against him, um, against him, and they uh, march on his palace. Meanwhile, the sun decides, uh, since he's not around, he's going to go in the other world. The sun decides that it's not going to appear, and you get constant night for while he's down here. Oh, I mean, just the the correlation and things between him and others um, are are stark, and it's really where I liked him. And you've got along with him. Some of the monsters that they recommend they use are your classic Greek and Roman monsters from the Odysseys. You've got centaurs, griffins, pegasus, a fleece mane lion. Uh, you've got your cloud giants, your rocks. So classic, iconic uh, creatures that you're going to throw into uh, this 
potential campaign um, that you're going to do. And at the end, he ends up, you know, it's a really cool sun temple uh, is what they call it. And where else would you be but a, a temple to the sun, uh, to the God that, that gives birth to every day, um, consistency, law and order. And uh, just like the sun, it's round, multiple, uh, multiple levels. Um, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I liked it. <laughs> I, uh, I think this one would have some fun. You could definitely do some crazy things. Uh, one of his other schemes um, is he, again, with law and order tries to end a fight between two of the other gods and things go haywire. So you, I like this guy because you can pull from every, all different areas you can affect multiple gods at one time multiple players um while you're doing his adventure ryan likes chaos okay all right surprisingly so, uh, so in this in this yeah in this uh format in this theme in theros i do nice uh michael you got a favorite all right so i went with crufix uh again because reading about crufix this was the god i was most interested in until i got to the artwork <laughs> So, so this is like you're you're in a place, and there's one person that's just the biggest, baddest mofo in the room. They know it. Everyone else knows it. They're bragging about it. They're talking about it. But there's this one person in the corner that every now and then people will look over, and you just know that if that person stands up, they're actually the biggest, baddest mofo in the room. That's who Crufix is. Heliod thinks he's the leader of all the gods. But even Heliod looks over his shoulder just to make sure that Crufix isn't too close when he says things like that. Uh, so I really like the the myth behind Crufix and, and sort of like what they do. So I thought that was very interesting. They don't often get involved in the moral realm. So usually when they do, it's because other gods have done messed up and they're trying to fix it. So uh, one of their uh, quests is that basically two different groups are arguing, like two followers of two different gods, and you want to get involved and try to mediate it. If you can't, then you side with the weaker to best the more powerful one. Some of the villains that you might face in a Crufix-focused campaign is an oracle or a a Gino Sphinx, a former agent of Crufix that is using knowledge they've gained now for their own good. As a villain, it's most likely Crufix is trying to restore balance. So again, he's not really a villain. He's just trying to set things back to what he thinks they should be. And other gods have disrupted that and they're, they're, you know, trying to set things back into, again, to what they think is the natural order or natural state. Uh, one of their schemes is that uh, shadowy forces have stolen an artifact thought to be part of the sun from Heliod's followers. The priest blames Phoenix or Erebos, but it's actually Crufix. So Crufix is trying to get two other gods to fight each other because I guess one of them's got too big for their britches and needs to be taken down a notch. And I just think that's really cool. Oh, that's definitely Heliod. So, yeah. Yes, uh, the the uh, location is the Temple of Mystery. Oh, it's a cool, it's a cool location. It is a cool re- location. I really like it. But my favorite, and I say that somewhat winking part, is this. It's a great map, and it's full of puzzles. And it like has a room that says Arcane Tiles Puzzle, Eight Pillars Puzzle, Flooded Kraken Puzzle. It does not explain what these puzzles are. It does not give you <laughs> what these puzzles are. So you still have to create your own version of what it means, which I think is awesome and also kind of cheap at the same time. Yeah, they had to fit a lot in here, and so I get it. But yeah, I do like it. It's cool. It's cool. So those are our favorite Those are our favorite deities and gods. Real quick, Nautical Adventures. There's a whole section on it because, you know, 
the sea is important to um, Greek myth. Um, there's not a whole lot here. Um, there's some random tables, and then there's literally a note, a note that says, all right, if you would like to add nuance to your nautical adventures in Theros, the book Ghost of Saltmarsh provides more information. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> just buy Ghost <laughs> of Saltmarsh. Like, it's, they, they even say it here. Um, there's a couple random tables here. Shameless plug. I know. No, but it's like, the sea is important. If you want to run an ocean-themed campaign, you can do it in Theros, but you're going to need Saltmarsh. <laughs> I feel like that that undervalues how important the sea was in that setting and in, in that in the world and where they got their inspiration from. That's okay. I mean, everybody had a ship. There were so many wars on city ports and uh, and capitals that were located, you know, as port cities, and so many gatherings of oh how many ships do you have cool we can go to war with 20 ships well they got 30 up oh, we're screwed let's turn around it's it's i that it that's a disservice to the history that they're hey taking this stuff from i i will say that i i have one that's a really not a favorite of mine you can only fit so many words in a book and they got more books to sell so all right that's uh, true and really true. good art to take up the other spaces <laughs> it is yeah Art yeah. is so good in this book. We will say it about seven more times tonight. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the world. I mean, not the world. That's, that's how to do adventures in Theros. It's kind of cool. They, they do include a, a sample adventure. It's more of a campaign starter. It's called No Silent Secret, uh, which I actually think is kind of cool. It's a, again, it's a good campaign starter if you're not sure where to go. Uh, very basically, one of the things we haven't really touched on is if you're a return, which is someone that went to the underworld that died and then has come back, uh, there's a whole myth about that. And then usually you wear a mask over your face and because you no longer have an actual face itself. And early in this adventure, the, the PCs uh, get involved in one of these returns that has been assassinated. And inside the mask that uh, he or she was wearing, I don't remember, uh, there's a code. So I actually think that's a really cool beginning to an adventure. I mean, I think it's pretty common that you have your PCs, they, they, they find someone who was killed or come upon someone in the process of being murdered, and they get involved. But this being an, a returned and there being a code inside the mask, I found that all very much like I as a player would want to dig into that. And I thought it was really cool. Uh, and then it basically ends with sort of an open ending where you have the option of choosing where it goes. I think there's a chart that can kind of you can roll randomly or you can pick which way you want it to go from there. Uh, so even if you didn't want to play anything else, this would provide you probably one or two full sessions in Theros and give you a good flavor uh, so without you know getting into any of the spoilers, I think it's a fun adventure. I would be happy to run or play. Nice. Um, yeah. So we then get into magic items. This is my personal favorite. I always am a big fan of magic items because I think that's how you make Dungeons and Dragons interesting. Mix it up a little bit. So this section it includes eight new magic items, which are all cool. I don't think there's any that are lackluster they're all great and then we also get five gifts of the gods which actually those are the ones that i really want to talk about uh these are insanely powerful magical items and for the most part they're weapons and i feel like there's not enough really powerful epic level weapons you get some, you get a whip there is a bow an unending whip an Most unending whip, 
a yeah. bow of Nyla. There's some, and also I have to say this: there's a Bident. It's our first Bident, and <laughs> you can just create storms with it. And these, the damage that these things are dealing is insane. You're getting for the Bident, for example, you get your normal damage. It's plus three bonus, and then you're getting two D10 cold damage on top of that every time you hit. That's crazy. Um, so I really like these magic items. Um, did you all have any favorites that you really liked? I didn't have anyone in particular, but I do like, uh, that a lot of them also have additional benefits based on your piety level. Yeah. That's so cool. they also, they're, they're powerful, but they also get more powerful as you, your piety score increases with your chosen. Guard. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm kind of, um, I was, uh, two of the weapons in here, uh, Akmon is, um, the hammer of Perforos, and then there's also uh, the uh, cru- oh gosh, this one I'm gonna butcher, but uh, Crusor, the spear of Heliod, and maybe it's because I pick two gods that are in direct uh, opposition to each other for the most part. But I mean, you know, you've got a giant hammer, um, go figure, barbarian, cleric, fighter. And then you've got a, uh, a a crazy powerful spear that does um, just insane um, spells and things. I will say I like how they if if you are a, um, if your god gives you a task to to piss off another god, go destroy their weapon, and it gives you how to do that. And I think that was super cool. I really 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 liked that. Yeah, I'll agree. That's cool. I, I did appreciate they include ways to destroy weapons. Nobody's yeah. going to destroy a weapon, though, so... <laughs> no, I mean, for like, for example, um, the destroying the Spear of Heliod, it says, if taken to Rebios's palace in uh, Tezuris and used to sacrifice a champion of Heliod to Rebos, the Spear is either destroyed or fundamentally twisted into Rebos's service. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, now nah, is there some really, I would say this, really cool magic items here. Now we get some monsters. We all love some the the monsters, so Ryan, take it away here. Um, so the monsters are unique to Theros. Um, I mean, obviously you can pull some from the monster manual or uh, another source if you want to. But for the most part, everything in uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros are meant to be used in here. The creature list isn't overwhelming um but it does have your iconic uh your iconic uh villains and monsters and things like that um most of these are going to be nyx born basically they're going to come from the realm of the gods uh, and it gives you kind of an origin for those things if you need it um they're those monsters that do come from uh nyx are going to have some traits unusual to monsters as you know them um but i mean for the most part you've got your your classic things that they talk about um you've and uh, you they kind of squeezed in a few that they pulled out of the monster manual that um you can kind of flavor for uh, other things but for the most part i think that a lot of these things uh, are actually pretty good and then the twists and turns that they took to bend them to theros um some of them are pretty interesting so, and I'll start with mine since I'm and since I'm talking. I picked the Doomwake Giant, which surprisingly I really really liked. Uh, and something we didn't talk about is this 
do make giant. Okay, he's a giant. Yeah, you figure he's big. Um, I think he's like a level 11. Let me look it up here real quick. I think uh, 15 CR. Is that what you're looking for? Uh, challenge, it, challenge level challenge, 11. Yeah. Challenge is 11. Um, so it's a mid-level, mid-level monster. But the way this guy comes into existence is by a city's or a town's or the feeling of a lot of mortals dread, like something bad happens or you've got a rumor going around and everybody freaks out about it. This thing is the physical manifestation of a bad thought. And it is in direct opposition to how the gods of Theros came into existence. Um, Early on in the book, we didn't mention it. The gods exist because the mortals believed them to be. And eventually there was just so much belief in the gods that poof, they came around. Uh, This guy is that exact same thing, except that, it's not for good reasons. It's for bad reasons. Uh, and he's uh, a huge giant. He is definitely evil. Um, he's got uh, your kind, your um, standard giant attacks, um, multi-attack with a slam. But he's also got a noxious gas, as this thing has as much... Um, misshapen kind of misty form as he does physical form so it's kind of like fighting you know something that can change into a gas cloud uh and then can be physical the next to to punch you in the face this guy's gonna do it so what i really like about this is that i can see this almost being like a like a next to the main level boss but when you fight it it's not about fighting it it's about removing the dread from the city so this is where your bard or your orator, you know, your paladin stands in front of the city and and like, you know, talks about nice. how this creature is nothing. And, and it's almost like you can see them shrinking, you know, as the city rises to this powerful, positive emotion, more so than hitting it with a stick until it's dead. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't, you're not even able to do that, hit it with a stick till it's dead. It's got magic resistance. Um it's got an aura, so if you get close enough to try to do that, it's going to hit you. I mean, that I I really liked the concept in all the different ways that you could potentially use this in a campaign. Um, this guy, I think, is really cool uh, with what they have going on. I think it really fits the theme of Theros. Nice. Yeah, there's some really cool monsters here. I was a huge fan of the fiends of Theros, such as the, come on, the name, Eater of Hope. Like, what a cool monster name. Like, also, this monster can sense gold. So, don't do this, Dungeon Masters. Don't sense your party's gold and go steal it, because that's mean. Unless you listen to our Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign, because you better believe I'm bringing the Eater of Hope in to, like, steal everything that they have, (laughs) because my players are terrible. And it's just, it's going to be great. So, plus, it's a really cool art for these fiends. I was a big fan of them. Uh, so one of the monsters I picked out to talk about was the Hydra. Now there's a classic. That, again, it's very classic to the Greek myth. That's the reason I picked it. And uh, it's not actually in the, the description, like the, the monster stat block. But I remember reading in the book somewhere that it talks about how Hydras reproduce. And I don't remember reading this anywhere else. And basically, if the Hydra gets too many heads, it splits into two. And now you have two of them. And this isn't necessarily something that would happen in like combat, but if over the course of like, you know, a couple of warriors go out and they try to kill a Hydra and they get murdered, uh, but the Hydra ends up with seven heads because they're cutting them off and not, you know, dealing with it properly, that Hydra will then basically through like osmosis separate and now you have two Hydra. And I've I've never thought about where Hydras 
you know, meet other hydras at like a bar and they go out for like a one night stand. Uh, so, you know, where, little, where baby hydras come from <laughs> never came up to me. But when you think about it, it is an interesting concept. And I love the fact that that's where this, this book at least talks about that. Uh, it also said that, that the first hydra, and I'll, I'll screw up the name, Pulokarinos. Close enough. I'm sorry. Uh, actually came from Nyx uh, when there was a tear in the in the Nyx world. And it's the eternal ideal of what a Hydra should be. And it has like the powers of gods. It's like this crazy powerful thing. It was then killed by two of the gods, but the idea remains and can sometimes manifest. Uh, and so the, that version of the Hydra actually has legendary actions. It can detect... I guess, sure. Uh, tail swipe and it can tangling charge where it basically just overruns you uh, and stomps everything in its path. So Hydra, classic Greek myth creature done right in the Theros book. Last thing in this book that I just want to touch on real quickly is the mythic monsters because it's technically a new concept to fifth edition. These, the whole idea of these are really powerful monsters. I don't know what your all's thoughts on these. These are weirdly weak monsters with a lot of hit points um they have so many hit points and the most damage that they can do is like 2d8 damage they don't have any sort of world wrecking abilities so i mean if this is your thing that's cool but these are just gonna ex in my opinion these myth these three mythic monsters if you use them are going to be one to two session campaigns i'm not campaigns one to two session like combats yeah they're definitely drug out and i think that to make it feel mythic you have to use the mythic encounter that it includes in there you've got it you've got a a spider you've got a medusa um and then you've got um for essentially a kraken yeah it, it's a kraken it's not called a kraken but it's the kraken from clash of the titans yeah it is so um you know uh, you've got a medusa in the city you got a kraken in the sea and then you got a spider kind of in the forest and the wilds but and i think that this is where it kind of uh, you have to use these mythic encounters to make it feel that way because otherwise you're just going to take forever to beat these things. Like for example, the pincer on the Kraken, 3d6 plus 10 bludgeoning damage on a, on a basic hit, you know, 409 hit points. I mean, geez, old Pete's. Yep. Though I, I will say you're a little bit low on the damage output. The, the Tromocratus, which is the Kraken yeah. can do 3d12 plus 10 so it's, it's it's more output than you were saying. It's still not crazy yeah, big, I know. but it's, yeah. it was more than 2d8. Especially when you, you've got, I know, you just have dragons with breath weapons of like 10d12. And it's just, <laughs> so. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel like they wanted to take these classic uh, monsters and make them, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit the scale, I think. I think they were onto something, but I don't think it fits the scale because these things are designed in the challenge, uh, one seventeen, one is twenty, uh, and the other one is twenty six. Um, it just, I it doesn't feel like it fits the scale. I, I know what they were going for, but I don't think they got there. I do look for, I really do look forward to when they have when they refine these, and because they will use these in other books in the future, they're going to use mythic monsters. So I do look forward to future mythic monsters once they kind of scale them up a little bit and do a little bit of work on them. Yeah. So, and again, the mythic part is they have legendary actions. They also have mythic actions, which are also, again, basically they can, um, 
you know, take extra actions. They can pass saving throws. Like it's basically their their beefed up legendary actions, which they can do in addition to their normal legendary actions. All right, and that's the book. Yeah, it's it. So it's a book. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. We we have to go through our. We got to go through our metric. Okay. 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 So I'll go first. Then for art and layout, art is an A plus. All right. You got to give it an A plus. It's magic art. It's great. All right. Layout. I got to give it a. I'm gonna go hard on this one. It's a C because there is there needed to be an index, not an index. Um, what did you? I needed like a, a pronunciation guide, a pronunciation guide, a <laughs> reference section. There's too many proper nouns, and they, I didn't understand the, how they had this book structured. I didn't understand the world of Theros, and then they were talking about piety before they explained what piety was. This was yeah, very that confu- I didn't like. It was very confusing reading this. So art, great layout. Eh. All right, Michael, what was yours? All right, so art's an A plus. Though specifically that Krufix art is a C minus. Get out of here. But but, but <laughs> everything else is is A plus. Overall, it's an A plus. The, the art is incredible. It's inspiring. It it's amazing. I love it. Layout it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I still, again, it wasn't great. I definitely would want a pronunciation guide. Yes. So I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay. I think the I think it's fine. I think the art elevates it for sure. All right, Ryan. All right. Uh, total agreement with the art A plus. The there were a few things that layout wise, like you said, the piety. Um, they mentioned it before you figured out what it was. I did like that they talked about the gods before the world because they're making the gods important. So layout wise, it wasn't that bad for me. I would say, uh, I mean, I would say a, a B. I think okay. it's fine with that. There were there were some things that uh, they could have done better, but I don't have any major problems with it. Fair enough. Okay, so next we have the fluff. This is the story stuff. This is a weird one because I was really looking forward to this book so much. And then I started reading it and it's just, it literally is reskinned Greek myths. So I found it hard to engage with because I really wasn't that big into it, into Greek myths. But then I started thinking, I was like, why was I excited for this book? It's all very confusing <laughs> for me. Um, and I'm going to give it a B here. Just because as I started reading this, and Michael, you said this earlier before we started recording, I think, that you would rest rather you you would love to play in a Greek setting. And I was like, honestly, I would like to just play in ancient Greece. And I can do that with this book. Like, I don't know. I gotta give it a B. It's just it was a tough one for me. I, right. I also here's the other thing. I don't really play with gods in my games. So see, I don't, I normally don't either, but I think this is a book where I think they do make it interesting. So I'll just go jump in. I th- the fluff for me is an A minus. It's still very good. Uh, again, I'm also interested in Greek mythology. It delivers on. It, it did what I thought it was going to do. It, it gave me inspiration that if I wanted to run a campaign like Clash of the Titans, I can. Uh, we also, again, briefly touched on the fact that the gods only exist because people believe in them. That's also part of one of my favorite fantasy uh, stories of all time is the Fred Saberhagen book series. Uh, or sorry, Swords series. It's the Book of Swords. And the same thing kind of happens there. But then over the course of the book, people stop believing in them. So they stop 
some of them disappear. And I think that's a cool concept to explore in this book as well. The heroes uh, become so powerful that maybe people start worshiping them and the gods become jealous. So I was still inspired and it makes me think if I could run some campaigns because of this book and that's what I want from it. Okay. So for me, it's an A minus. Cool. I'm right on board. I, I, the, this, the, like I said, it started with this is this is right down my alley. Um, I was super excited for this. It doesn't, um, I don't want to say, it doesn't live up to what I was hoping it would be, but it lives up to what I expected it to be because it's, you kind of have to do some translating. I give the the fluff for this um, an A, to be honest. I mean, I really, really do like this. Um, and if you've ever sat at one of my table, one of the things, first things I say is, I develop my character, my pre-gen characters, I develop my stories to take the role of a hero. And this is exactly what this is about. Yeah, I have. I, get that. I, I mean, I really, I do really like this. Okay, for sure. So Ryan, then, since what would you say? So for the crunch, how would you rate the the crunch, the new mechanics here? Oh, um, the new mechanics do exactly what they're designed to do. I think uh, you've got your supernatural gifts, pretty powerful. The piety thing, I'm not entirely sold on. We talked about that. Uh, it could have been a lot better. You could have got a lot better rewards for it. And as far as the creatures, you got, um, I'd say, a fair amount of races to pick from. And then, you know, the creatures are classic, and they did. I think they did a pretty good role of tweaking them. The crunch, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it's a, it's a somewhere between a B and a B plus. Okay. Um, I mean, they could have done a little bit more to be unique, I think, but for the most part, it does what it's, it's meant to do. And if you use it, I think it'll feel like it's intended. Like, but I think largely the the rating comes from maybe a lack of some of the the mythic monsters and uh, the piety. I okay. think falling a little short of what they intended. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm going to give it a C plus here. You got three reprinted races. You got mythic monsters don't work for me. The lion is a con based class. The, like the only thing I feel like that really works for me is the satyr. But even if you were to look at a satyr from a balanced perspective, which not everything needs to be balanced, is so overpowered. But I love it anyway. So that's that's I do like the satyr a whole lot. So I'm gonna I give it a I get a C plus just because there wasn't a whole lot that I was just like, oh, this is really cool. So Michael right, and I'm gonna go B minus a lot of the things that you've already said. Uh, I think it does some of what it's supposed to do. I wasn't impressed with the mythic monsters. I think the supernatural gifts and the, like the heroic drives are cool. I don't think piety is great, but I like the idea. But I probably wouldn't use it like piety. But I do like the idea of like some sort of connection to a higher power, and you can you know mechanically level that up. I do think that's cool. I would probably use them more like. Uh, 13th age icon roles for the gods and then the other thing i'll mention here just because i forgot to mention it earlier i do like the idea too of a, in a campaign of this where i let the players also take on the role of one of the gods and no we wouldn't necessarily play a session like that but maybe like the the five players would interact with each other as the gods and then that would help determine like what happens next and that kind of good stuff uh but anyway sorry crunch b minus okay well real quick let's just overall I'm going to, I'll go first since we don't end this on a giant downer. I'm going to give it a C, which is a pass because um, that's like pass as in like, I don't know if you necessarily need this book just because if you really want to run Theros, then 
if you really want to run Theros, then yes, go buy this book because it's 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 a no brainer. It's it's cool Greek mythology. But if you're just looking for a new D and D book with some cool stuff to draw from. I don't. I think you could potentially skip this one, especially coming off the heels of it, uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which was just such a great book. Like, I, I, it's just it, it's a little low for me. So, all right, uh, I'll go next. I'm going to give it a B overall. Again, there there are elements of this that I do think I probably will still and maybe put into other games. I do like the idea of running a Theros based campaign, but I probably would run one. Okay. Like, I, you know, once I've ran that one, I think I got that Clash of Titans out of me. I don't know that I would need to revisit it. I also will mention the alternate art might be my favorite alternate art of any of the alternate art books. I love the alternate cover. Anyway, Ryan. Um, I, I'm going to be the the guy that, that is positive here. I'm going to say A- minus on this. Um, for the most part, I love it. And again, part of me, that's just probably from where I come from. Um, but I think that with the right players i could run unlimited number of of campaigns with this and still have fun and still have uh something new and challenging every time around um but like i do agree with tom if you're looking for something that you can steal from or something that you can put in your homebrew this isn't it um if you're looking for kind of an all-in-one setting and you're looking to do something feel fantastical feel super powered i think that this probably will do that for you so I, I still really enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you both very much for joining me today for this review. Again, thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for sending me a copy to do the review. Uh, hopefully, we have helped you make maybe make a decision one way or the other. That's what, what we do this for. Uh, but before we sign off, one quick, quickly around the horn, let people know who you are and where they can find you. Tom. Uh, you, can, you can follow me at Bezcar Tom, the Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter, and then you can f- catch us every other Wednesday playing Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And then also, it's our currently running audio campaign on the podcast. So definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. Fantastic. And Ryan? Again, Ryan, I am at Teleporta on Twitter. Uh, you can find me here on the RPG Academy doing uh, reviews, or most currently, it's been a couple of detention episodes uh, that we're going to try to continue to. I've got a fair share of uh, some voice acting and things that we've done for previous games but you can find me there i've also got some things on the website um that i have written you can look up to add to your adventure or your campaign so if you uh if you need some ideas i've got a few of them floating around all right and again thank you very much and lastly my name is michael here at the rpg academy everything you i do can be found at the rpg academy on twitter uh so please follow me and on the alternate wednesdays when tom isn't running ghost of salt marsh i'm hosting detention often with ryan and that's where you could find me doing improv badly and talking about rpgs so with that we're going to sign off but remember folks if you're having fun you're doing, you're doing it, right. it right you're doing it right thanks we'll see you next time bye-bye bye-bye Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. 
You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.